The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, everybody. This is Library Users of America, our first session of two back-to-back sessions on artificial intelligence. The first one is Artificial Intelligence and You. We welcome all of our Lua uh, friends and family. And remember, if you've registered with Lua, there will be door prizes at the at the end. So having said that, I'm going to turn it over to the one of the most intelligent of the non-artificial intelligent people I know, Brian Charlson. Thank you very much, Judy. This morning, we are going to be going through two aspects of artificial intelligence in these two back-to-back sessions. The first one has very much to do with you and me as blind and visually impaired people, but also as people in general. The second one, I'm going to be digging a little deeper, not so much into the technology of things. A little of that gets sprinkled through, however, but more about the social act activities associated with it uh, in the bigger scheme of things, that is, across all potential users and or abusers. And we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, and I think it's only fair for you to know who I am in the scheme of things. Again, my name is Ryan Charlson. I reside in Watertown, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. I have been working in the field of access technology for all of my adult life. I was the director of technology at the Carroll Center for the Blind, a private not-for-profit adult rehabilitation agency. And I have been uh, a speaker on both the domestic and international stage on the subject of technology and accessibility for those who are blind or visually impaired. I myself have been blind uh, all of my adult life. I'm a Braille user and a speech user. And at one point in my life, I could use large print. So I understand the nature of accessibility in all three of those areas. I also have served as a leader in ACB over many years, including as the chair of the Information Access Committee, Uh, though I'm not in that position at this point, but I am a member of that committee. So that's my technical background, if you will. What I'm going to try to do here today is explain a bit about this crazy thing that's been happening in media called uh, artificial intelligence. And although you've heard about this the most in the past few months, the fact of the matter is it's been going on for a long time. They just didn't make a big deal of it. They were just throwing a couple of letters and just let it slide. Speaking of slide, let's go on to the next one. Talking tech. We've been using talking tech for some time now, haven't we? Uh, when you talk about talking tech, you're talking about things that you and I use as blind people that have speech built into them. Uh, whether that's your screen reader or that's your uh, device such as a Victor Reader Stream, which has built-in speech for certain activities throughout the process, the whole text-to-speech scenario is largely as a result of artificial intelligence, anticipating what one thing looks like or one thing should be if prior experience is any guide. So I want to share with you a couple of audio clips. What I've done is I've spent the last several weeks 
going online through YouTube and other sources to find clips that would demonstrate some of the things that we'll be talking about this morning. One of the devices that's been heavily dependent on artificial intelligence is the OrCam device. Focusing intensely on our users' needs, we at OrCam Technologies designed a wearable, lightweight device that expertly blends highly advanced AI-driven computer vision with an interface that is incredibly intuitive to use. Introducing the OrCam MyEye wearable device, the globally award-winning breakthrough solution for people who are blind or visually impaired. The finger-size OrCam MyEye magnetically snaps onto any eyeglass frames for a comfortable fit. The device's optic sensor instantly communicates visual information in real time through a tiny built-in speaker or any Bluetooth device. In low-light environments, LEDs illuminate the immediate area to allow for continuous operation. OrCam MyEye's versatile set of features help increase independence at school, home, and throughout daily life. Instantly read the text that you want from any kind of printed or digital surface, such as a book or computer screen. Interactive smart reading helps you pinpoint specific text. Seamless facial recognition lets you know who's in front of you. Quickly identify products, barcodes, colors, and money notes to shop more effectively. Simply use voice commands to control all device features and settings. OrCam MyEye is your trusted companion. Advanced assistive technology that empowers you everywhere you go. OrCam MyEye. Our vision. Empowering people. So there you have a commercial, of course. But it does describe, and note that it did say, heavily utilizing artificial intelligence when you're interacting with a wearable device like the OrCam device you've got a camera you've got a speaker you have a microphone and you have it all connected by wire in this particular case to a device that for all intents and purposes is a mini computer and that mini computer is doing all the work that AI needs to do for you to be able to not just identify barcodes that could be done from simply a list of what each barcode is registered as doing, but also being able to take a look at something and make a decision as to what parts of that to read, such as looking at a menu and asking it only to read you the main topics on the menu rather than reading it from top to bottom, left to right. All of that can be done with OrCam. Are there any OrCam users here today who would like to raise their hand and speak just a moment about their experience using OrCam. Again, raise your hand if you would like to say something about your OrCam experience. Well, you OrCam people, where are you when a person needs you? But that's, that's okay, because it's just an example of AI and how it works in devices designed for blind and visually impaired people. Speaking of such devices, let's move on to the sense player. Of course, that's not going to work. So I'm just going to leave that alone for right now. But the sense player basically is a Victor reader stream on steroids. It can include in it many different things, including OCR. If you get the uh, model that includes that, there are two different models of this device. It is everything the handheld portable media player has done for us 
but has extended its capabilities to include a number of things, including the ability to anticipate what else you might be interested in accessing in addition to what you already have. So this is a great deal about artificial intelligence. It attempts to guess what you want next. And the more accurate is it the guessing, the more accurate it will be going forward. It self-instructs as to what was good and what wasn't so good. The next part, other than these kinds of technologies, and again, I want to invite people to raise their hand if they have another piece of for the blind slash low vision technology that utilizes artificial intelligence that they would like to talk to us about. Anybody else? Raise your hand if you would like to interject a device that you specifically feel benefits from artificial intelligence. Well, Ryan mentioned the sense player, which I don't have, but I definitely um, have the Victor Stream and, of course, VoiceOver, which in my mind also uses a lot of technology, um, you know, artificial intelligence. But, you know, on the Victor Stream, um, the fact that it can read things easily and well, and even when you're doing a search, let's say you want to get a new podcast, it, it can bring up that kind of thing, makes me think that it's got capability of language understanding and uh, doing the next step when you have one step. So I'm thinking what you're saying, Brian, is, is there's some sequencing going on. Is that right? So if you say Absolutely. A, it, it'll ask you B, right? Right. And that's the kind of thing that we've just kind of taken for granted. If you're mm -hmm. a word processor and it anticipates what you're about to type in the rest of the word, that's yeah. artificial intelligence doing yep. word prediction. It's a very small scale, but it nonetheless is there. And if you start sorting through lists of lists of lists, and it gets closer and closer to what you're looking for, part of that is as a result of artificial intelligence. And when you say to your smart speaker, what's the weather? And then she says, would you like the weather for tomorrow? Exactly. You know. Anticipating yeah. your next need. Now, there's a crossover between what's called machine learning and artificial intelligence. Machine <laughs> learning is more like if you say A, I'm going to say B. If you say uh, it's time to uh, wish everybody a merry, what would you anticipate the next word to be? Christmas, right? It's time to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. So it can do those kinds of things using what they call a large language model, but it can do it amazingly well, not just anticipating the next word, but anticipating what it is you're speaking about in general terms. And you'll hear the word general AI as we go through the, the balance of this presentation. Thank you, Sharon, for that input. Diane Scalzi, followed by Cindy LeBon. Diane, welcome aboard. What's your experience? I'm, I'm wondering if apps like, maybe I'm ignorant, but I'm wondering if apps like um, um, Seeing AI and, what's the other one, SuperSense use artificial intelligence. 
Absolutely, they do. They do. Now, again, one of the biggest differences between the all the fuss and feathers you hear on media about computers taking over our lives and pretty soon they'll be smarter than us and they won't need us and yada, yada. That kind of stuff is based around what's called general, artificial general or generative AI. In this case, it's really hard to tell whether or not the, the entity you're interacting with is a human or is an artificial intelligence because it has broad understanding. And that's not quite the right word either. It has a broad set of uh, criteria, algorithms, if you will, that help it better understand what you're up to. When it comes to large language models, it sounds like it's all about words, doesn't it? But it isn't. It's all about anything that can be defined as made up of parts that could be recognized as being similar or dissimilar. So you can put into an artificial intelligence the ability to read and play music according to a music score that you've sent it. You have to teach it all the components that make that a half note versus a whole note versus uh, a high C or a low C, those kinds of things. But once it knows that, you can feed it that representation of music and it can play it on virtually any instrument. Now, can't interpret it the way that humans do at this point, but it can play it exactly as written. The same thing can be true about things such as um, understanding mathematics, because that's just a language of sorts. It can do the same thing when it comes to art, because you know, while there is a lot of discussion about what's art and what's not art, the fact is that there are components that are recognizably common in that. And that's what allows them to create or generate uh, visuals to go along with whatever text prompt you give it and ask it for. Now, who is the, se- who is the second one here? Uh, we have Cindy LeBon, fo- followed by Rachel. Cindy, go ahead. Hi, Brian. How are you? Hanging I hope in everything's there. good. Oh, good. And um, I have an art cam. I have a Victor Reader stream. If it talks, I have it. And an Alexa. I love them all. Everything and takes some education. Some, not a huge amount. In fact, one no. of the, all of these companies are priding themselves is making things more and more intuitive. Yep. And that's part of what AI is bringing to the party. It yep. can intuit to some degree what it is you might want next to narrow your options, but by intention, by intention. Now, Orcam is doing it in the area here, but I can't go next week. Um, and on site, if you have issues with your Orcam, I think you can go or do it online. I don't know. I can't remember. I can go back and check. I'm in the D.C. area. But they do Zoom calls all the time. They will go over any questions you have. They will help you. And I do it because I might either find it or learn from somebody else something. There's always something to learn, but it's very doable. I mean, I'll give up a dish of ice cream to save up for technology. 
<laughs> <That's-> <laughs> All those commercials are saying, just give up your cup of coffee at the local coffee shop. I one- do that. <laughs> yes, I, I do that. And Choose your because, priorities. Yep. You know what? I need that technology. And we all do. And it's, you know, and you can learn from your friends. You can, if somebody else has it that you know, I mean, you can learn from your friends. You can learn online. Just ask somebody, you know, the, the only dumb question is the unasked question. And all of this stuff, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate your comments. But I and wasn't really sure. I thought this was yeah, what you wanted. I got on my on course. On course. I appreciate it. Who's the last one we're going to take now? Rachel. Rachel. Hey, Rach. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Hanging in there. How about yourself? All right. I'm good. I'm happy to hear your wonderful voice again. Um, okay. Um, my question is um, uh, about this ORCAM. Is that what you said it was called? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, where can you... Can you purchase something like this? Because I was almost going to download Be My Eyes and Ira in my phone. So do you need an app for this or cam or no? Because all I need is one more app in my phone. <laughs> no, it doesn't utilize your phone at all. It is all one piece. That is, there's the camera with the sensors on it that clips to the side of uh, any pair of glasses you want to wear. And that wire leads down to a device you keep in your pocket that does all of the computing involved with it. So, no, it's not an app. And I would honestly say it, you know, the big difference is it's a true wearable, unlike a phone where it's got to be a point and shoot kind of thing. Here, if you face what it is you want to know something about, you've already pointed the camera Uh, and it utilizes both uh watching your hand in the camera's view do things so you can point at something if you can see it point to make it clear that's what you're interested in or you can give it a verbal command to indicate what it is you're interested in does that make sense and you can buy it uh if you take a look at the vendors that are exhibiting at the conference you'll find an orcam representative there So let's hear a little bit about what is happening in the world of merging neuroscience, psychology, and mindfulness with practical takeaways for being more focused in our work and wider lives. This book will help you think about and manage your attention on a daily basis. That is simply an example of a fully text-to-speech voice, one of these synthetic voices that you've been hearing about in the news. I would suggest to you that if that voice were used in my textbooks when I was going through college, uh, my life would have been radically different. Instead, I had those lovely reel-to-reel tapes. I had to learn how to splice tape to read my textbooks. And my textbooks were read by volunteers who frequently knew nothing about the topic they were reading. For those who've been involved with the computing, I remember... an entire textbook where it referred to the DOS operating system rather than the DOS operating system. Minor, but boy, irritating as it went along. That's synthesized speech in the modern era. We'll be talking a little bit more about synthesized speech, but you can imagine a nonfiction book read with that voice 
probably would meet most of your needs in terms of the whole process. And of course, we're always interested in getting access to more text, not less, access to text more rapidly than it would take to send that same text through the whole narrator process. So, those of you who've been participating in the evening resolutions meeting, you've been hearing a synthetic voice, an AI-created and utilized voice to read our resolutions, not only in English, but in Spanish as well. Another thing you might consider is this. What happens if what you really want is for a novel to be read to you in multiple voices in an accessible conversational tone? You listen to the voice prompt. Where did you go last summer? I went to Greece. It was amazing. And then what we're going to listen to now is, of course, the synthesized dialogue. Where did you go last summer? I went to Greece. It was amazing. Oh, that's great. I've always wanted to go to Greece. What was your favorite part? Uh, it's hard to choose just one favorite part, but yeah, I really loved the food. The seafood was especially delicious. Yeah? And oh. the beaches were incredible. Uh-huh. We spent a lot of time swimming, uh, sunbathing, and, and exploring the islands. Oh, that sounds like a perfect vacation. I'm so jealous. It was definitely a trip I'll never forget. I really hope we'll get to visit someday. That, both voices, artificial voices, fed a script. And that's how they articulated it. So when you hear that first voice and you think, oh, it's all about, uh, you know, this very mechanical sounding voice, only good for those issues associated with, you know, strictly nonfiction kind of activities. This is what else is possible with AI and voices. What impact do you think this is going to have on the whole concept of audiobooks? It already is, and I'll be sharing more about that when we get to the second hour, uh, second presentation. Now, let's see here. Where are we going next? Now, there's been quite a bit of discussion about artificial intelligence voices utilized in audio description. If you've been following the ADP lists and all that kind of stuff, it's it's not a, uh, shall we say, calm topic. So I want you to hear a couple of possibilities here. First, let's do this. Listen to what Amazon has to say about it. On Bosch's desk, we see pictures of three missing women. A woman relaxing, listening to audio description. To remind me, everybody counts or nobody counts. This is getting good. The most audio described titles, Amazon.com slash accessibility. The most audio described videos now the fact of the matter is there's still controversy you know you can have a really good ai voice or you can have a really bad ai voice which do you think is less expensive for services to use less expensive less quality it's just the way things work however think about the back catalog out there that they will never get to If we insist that every movie be audio described in the same way, that is with a human narrator. Uh, I, for one, you know, you always have this battle between 
quantity versus quality. But I also understand that there are times in, in which you really have to make a choice. Do I want not to have it because they haven't gotten around to it yet? Or they've decided to put their money on something that has many more views than the unique little one I wanted to watch? Or do I say, if it's a new release, it ought to be human described. But if it's a back release, I'd accept artificial intelligence based narrators. And I would insist that be the higher quality narrators. I'm curious how others feel about that. Sharon. I totally agree with you, Brian. Um, I would not have a problem with artificial uh, intelligence descriptions. I was just thinking about the fact that Bookshare, which I do on my Victor stream at this point, doesn't have great voices, but boy, I'm willing to make that um, sacrifice, if you will, to get the content that I can't get any other way. Um, and so, and these voices are so much better uh, than what's in my second generation Victor stream. <laughs> so I don't have a problem with it. I wanted to ask if you could speak about, I think it's called 11 labs. Is that right? Uh, 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 it's on one of my slides. Okay, we, very good, because I, I want me. to understand better how these what voices are coming. About. And also what's different about these AI voices and how they're constructed than what we've had previously or have they been all AI all along and we just didn't know it. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. So I'm going to answer that second question and the 11 labs will, will come up a little later, but generally speaking, the synthetic voices that we've been using were modeled on massive computers to work out how to voice, not just specific well, phonemes of language, the individual oohs, ahs, as, etc., uh, associated with this, and then build that, then take the result and make it a, uh, I hate to use the word program, but it is a program that will take a look at text files and read it aloud in a language model that fits on your Victor Reader stream. Most of the Ones we're hearing now are created in that same way, but with much bigger databases of what makes language language and what makes a pronunciation one way versus another. You know, we all deal with things like live, live, record, record, and it really stands out when it pronounces it the wrong way. But if it understood it by context, it would get it right every time. So that's the kind of improvement these new voices have. Brian, uh, this is hand? Paul Edwards. Can I make a quick comment? Sure. Um, I, I think that there are actually bad human narrators of audio description as well. And, and I think what we ought to be asking Four is quality, whether that quality is provided through AI voices or whether that quality is provided through human narrators. I think we need to set standards for uh, what we expect in terms of uh, an audio described experience and then expect either artificial intelligence or humans to meet those standards. 
Totally, totally agree with you, Paul, on that. And I've been making that case with those who are naysayers about AI and audio description. It's the matter of the quality, not how it's produced, but what the end result is that right. truly matters. I, I have looked at uh, the same audio description actually done by AI and done by humans. Um, and, and there have certainly been occasions where the AI description has actually been better. No question in my mind. Another hand up? Yes, we have four of them. Let's go to Sue Ellen, followed by Anne Byington. Sue Ellen. Hey, Brian. Hey there, Sue Ellen. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Um, anyway, I have been one of the loud voices opposed to AI for audio description until I've been in here. I mean, if we could have description like that voice, like the voices in that conversation about Greece or even that Amazon clip you sent for um, the back catalogs, the things they may not have the time, money or whatever to get to, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Again, everybody needs to understand, you know, there's this term in technology called alpha beta. You know, there's the alpha version. Oh, I just have an idea. Here's a sketch of it. And then there's the beta version. I've got it sketched out enough. I need to start, you know, pounding on it and seeing if it works and doesn't work. We're strictly in the beta phase of utilizing these kinds of voices for our needs. You hear in the media mostly gloom and doom about them being used badly, but they can be used in good ways as well. Uh, And I'm excited about you know, the simple fact that things are getting better, getting better. And if they can get better and cheaper and more rapidly achieved, I'm all for it. Next hand up. Yes. Next up, we have Anne Byington, followed by area code 501974. All right. Well, let's go ahead and go to area code 501 ending 974. Okay, this is Teresa Petrie. I wish these, um, you know, what you were demonstrating with the text-to-speech had been around when I was in college. Um, I didn't have to deal with it real to real. I had cassette tapes, and sometimes the tapes were of poor quality. Sometimes the recording itself was not the greatest quality, and it was, uh, it didn't help with them when I was trying to study and keep up with my reading. A lot of times I had to rely on um, volunteer readers you know, on campus who showed up. Sometimes they were pretty consistent, but there were t- some I had that weren't so great. So, yes, th- that would have really helped my studies and also probably had allowed my grade point average to be higher yeah. than it was. How many but, times um, did you have to have a book that was the older version? Of the book, oh, because that yes. was the only one that had the recording. RS, the good old RS B and D, right? They they send me a, a the um the next. Let's say I needed the uh, third edition of a book, I'd get the second edition instead of the third edition. Uh, it happened a lot of times. I was off on a chapter in um once in an economics class. I was reading chapter eight. And they were all on chapter seven. No wonder I wasn't quite on page with up to par with what they were <laughs> talking about because yeah. I was ahead yeah. the way that way it was recorded and everything. 
But I wanted to ask you, spell the name of the, um, the uh, in your previous segment, you were talking about the device that you called the Victor Stream on steroids. It's called that, that for me. Sense, as in come to your senses, Sense Player. And it is from hymns. So, you know, they have the uh, Braille Sense. This is the Sense Player. And our next hand, if you're ready for more, yes, uh, we have Todd Freitas followed by Beth. Okay. Um, first of all, I really am enjoying this presentation. Uh, second of all, um, can these voices that you're that you're demonstrating can they be used for things like jars for windows and stuff, or like screen readers for the blind and all? I would expect that that's in the near horizon. We all have been looking for better voices over time. I remember my first screen reader sounded like a drowning Russian. It was just horrible. But it gave me that moment of access to things I wouldn't have otherwise had access to. And of course, you know, now I've been using Jaws for so many years that I just go with the default voice of Jaws and haven't gone hunting for a different voice for, for improvement and the like. But with these voices... I think I might be tempted to even uh, cough up a little extra cash for that improvement. And next up, we have Beth, followed by somebody who's already spoken, if you want to take them, but we can go to Beth first. Beth first, please. Hey, Beth. Really, really great presentation. Um, I am a little bit concerned about something. As much as I'm enjoying hearing the resolutions read with Adam, which is the AI voice that's being used, there are certain things that he doesn't say correctly, like instead of ADA, he said ADA, and there were a few other things. And what concerns me is for people who are new to blindness or for sighted people who are listening in, that's going to confuse them. And there were several mistakes that the voice made. Now, of course, the voice doesn't know any better. But I'm just saying, I think with a person reading it, the person would say the ADA, which is the you know, Americans with Disabilities Act, and then go right ahead with, with, um, uh, go right ahead with, with reading the resolution. So you don't get that human touch of better knowledge. So one of the things that come to mind, like you said, last night was ADA. And I, I heard that same moment and said, oops, the fact of the matter is that when it's an acronym, do you speak it as a word or do you speak it out letter by letter? What is N-A-S-A? Have you ever heard it read aloud as N-A-S-A? Never. Always NASA, right? So you create a series of exception tables that you build into this artificial intelligence that causes it to be able to have a certain way of... Uh, pronouncing all things and all caps set of letters that can be pronounced or cannot be pronounced, or that if they're in common use, turn to your exception table. And it can do it so quickly that it seems like it knew it all along when it certainly did not. This is what makes artificial intelligence both exciting and scary. They are actually trying a thousand things discarding the first 999 and only speaking the thousandth item, which through 
trying it internally, they've determined was the right way to do it. It just happened so rapidly, you can't see that's what's going on. Um, I think we need to move on with the presentation or we're never going to get to some of the more exciting things coming down the line. So uh, I apologize, I can't take every hand, but I'm trying to sprinkle them through. Here we go for the next item. Now, when we talk about the quality of audio description and using the AI, that's all fine and good. And, you know, maybe if you're wanting to watch, you know, Avatar or something like that, you want a well-done human-narrated description. Uh, the fact of the matter is there's an awful lot of video out there that will never, ever have the budget necessary to have it fresh professionally described would you be willing to listen to this kind of description keeping in mind that the creator of the video wrote the script but did not narrate it welcome to this tutorial this guide will take you through a series of over 30 videos conveniently organized into three levels designed to walk you through the manufacturing process let's get started I don't know about you, but that's a lot better than a musical backdrop where I meant I'm expected to see what they want me to understand because they didn't take the time to put in a voiceover on it. Uh, I'm a big YouTube user. And when I go and want to get a YouTube about, oh, I don't know, a, a new way to make mashed potatoes or something, and it's simply music in the background while this person is demonstrating how to do that uh, for you, assuming you can see what's going on. This concept of using AI voices to do this kind of voiceover will radically reduce the cost and radically increase the speed at which these things can be done. And need I say, it's also a multilingual issue. A lot of the videos that come without a voiceover is because the maker of the video is not an English speaker. But it doesn't mean what they have to say isn't of value to me. It's also true that something voiced by the maker in English can, through the use of AI, reverse translate that English into other languages as well. Now comes a separate section, and that is the use of visual assistance. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean things like um, Be My Eyes, Ira, these kinds of things where somebody looks through your smartphone lens and tells you what they see. Of course, Ira is not an inexpensive thing, but it's described by professionals who are used to describing and are bonded and all those kinds of things so that it's a, a quality issue once again. And Be My Eyes has up to this point relied heavily on volunteers. I remember I was at the uh, Sagebrush Conference in Las Vegas one year and decided for the first time I was going to get to play a poker machine. So I pull out my smartphone, I dial up the fine people at Be My Eyes, and a volunteer comes on, and the volunteer is a 14-year-old girl from Australia who didn't know what poker was. So I ended up playing a poker machine for about 15 minutes, 
knowing that she was talking about shovels instead of spades and clovers instead of clubs. Uh, so, you know, you get what you get when you're using a volunteer. But if you're using AI, there's several things that are true about that. Let me have you listen to a couple of examples of AI. This is the one that got me excited the first time I heard it. So I want to know what's inside this, and I'm going to get Be My Eyes AI virtual volunteer to tell me what's inside the pages. Let's see if it can do it. I'm going to open it to a random page. Add picture, button. I'm going to take a few. Take picture, add picture. Then maybe take here. Picture. Take picture, write question here, dictate. What is the model wearing on this page? Ask question, virtual volunteer. Hi there, in the first image, there are three models wearing a white dress, a black and silver outfit, and a black and orange outfit. In the second image, there are also three models. Would you like me to describe any of the outfits in more detail? Ooh, yes I would. Reply. Yes, the first outfit in more detail. Ask question, virtual volunteer. Sure, the first outfit in the first image appears to be a white dress with a high neckline and long sleeves. It has a layered skirt with a scalloped hem and is accessorized with a long pearl necklace and earrings. Is there anything else you would like me to describe in more detail? I'd like people's impression of what it would mean to be able to virtually open any book that has pictures in it and have that ability not just to have it described to you, but be, to be able to do follow-on questions. Brian, I'm gonna, this is Judy. I'm going to jump in to say I would have loved to have that kind of assistance looking at Vogue magazine and stuff. Mm-hmm. Jeanette Kutash is up to speak. Debbie Armstrong, Deborah Armstrong will follow. And as soon as Jeanette is done, I need to give out CEU codes because we forgot about those. So Oops. I need to find them. You got it. Yep. Um, hey, Jeanette. Hi, Brian. This is fun because I'll be in the second part with you. We actually did this last week. We thought we didn't have enough detail in a picture, and we found the detail, and we were so excited. We played with it for about an hour. So there you go. I think it, it's a great it, thing. It is kind of almost like you can do this casually. You don't have to ask a sighted friend or family member to do it. You can do it at 3 in the morning if you want to. Can't sleep? Pull out a magazine. Thumb through it. Next. All right, and next up is Deborah Armstrong. Uh, I want to make a quick point, um, and this may not sound very relevant, but a couple of years ago, my husband, who is sighted, would always say, I'm never going to use an app to order fast food. He always wanted to talk to a human. And nowadays, all he ever does is use an app. And in fact, when he has to talk to a human, he gripes about that because they're so stupid and the apps make it much easier. And I think that we have to remember that if you're not really supportive of using AI, um, it's a matter of getting used to it. And all things need a little bit of time to get used to. And just as my husband had to get used to using apps and he was so against it. Thank you so much. One last person, and then we need to move on. Okay, before we do that, I have your opening CEU code, and I'll get. Hopefully, you've had a minute to uh, get paper. Will I find it? It is one eight nine one six. Again, that is one eight nine one six. And Deborah Kendrick, you may speak. Hey, Debbie. Hey, so um, I just have to say that that last example just 
gives me goosebumps. As you know, I, I have three adult children. I have seven grandchildren, and everybody in my family except for me lives by the photograph. And for many years, it's been an ongoing thing that I'll surreptitiously drag one of my adult kids around the house and say, okay, remind me what's on this wall, what's on this wall, what's on this wall, because inevitably some new person will be in my house and say, oh, this is an adorable picture. Who is this child? And I have no idea. And when they describe the clothing, sometimes I remember, oh, yeah, her favorite were the Oshkosh um, pants, but you know, like usually I don't know. I've had, so I'll take pictures of pictures and send them to one of my kids. Who is this? But they share so many pictures by Facebook and everything. So I don't know that I care about pictures in magazines or pictures in books, but just pictures on the wall, pictures on the table, pictures in the photo album. This just really sounds cool to me. So that, that was now, a great example, one, Brian. One the, Thank you. One of the good things about your way of doing it is these are personal pictures. And with AI, you're not sharing them with the world. You're getting them to share it with you, right? It's one-on-one. Um, but uh, the other thing is, I don't want you to get a false impression that that this kind of thing does a perfect job of describing things. Reliability is a serious problem when it comes to any kind of interpreting a visual image. I have two paintings hanging in my living room, uh, and I had this product describe both of them to me, and in both cases, it did what's called hallucinate. This is when it sees something, it thinks it knows what it is, but it's wrong, but it says it with such confidence in its voice that this is what it is, that uh, you'd be hard-pressed. A good friend of mine, David Kingsbury, uh, took a picture of, I think it was Gretzky, the hockey player, uh, making a goal, only to find out that the AI actually uh, went out and found a picture similar to it and described the similar picture, not the actual picture, but said it was such authority you would have swore it was uh, 100% confident that it was giving you the right description of things. I'm going to hit the space bar for another uh, example of this. Tool in Be My Eyes. This is from a news article. Like in exchange with an actual person, Brian can take a picture with his phone and follow up with a question. What's in my refrigerator? Within seconds, he gets an answer from the virtual assistant, which Brian has programmed to speak at a rapid pace. We slowed the audio down for clarity. I can see that there are several items in your refrigerator, such as a carton of milk, almond milk, soda cans, a water filter pitcher, hummus, and various packaged foods. So, in that case, it reminded me that one of the pictures I took were things on a pantry shelf. And it told me that there were three jars of jam and a bottle of mustard. So, in my follow-up question, I asked, what kind of jam? And it said, Welch's grape jelly, Smucker's strawberry jam. I can't remember what the third one was. And I was delighted until I found out that Smucker's strawberry was actually Smucker's raspberry jam. Now, I would have enjoyed the sandwich one way or the other, but the fact of the matter is, you may be allergic to something it told you wasn't there. So, you really have to 
think about these descriptions. Do not, do not assume that they're right simply because the voice sounds like it's confident that it's right. Yeah, so I actually work for the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired, and I do run a Be My Eye specialized help program. So I wanted to just chime in a little bit from that side of things. Um, and we're absolutely seeing that with the advancement of AI and machine learning, that we're seeing that our role as visual interpreters uh, is completely changing, right? So I always tell my volunteers, we still run on volunteers, but I, I always tell my, my volunteers, when somebody calls in specifically to use our service, they probably could have gotten the information that they need another way. They could have used a different app. They could have used a, a regular Be My Eyes volunteer. They could have used OCR. They could have used a number of different technologies and programs available to them. But they chose to use us because they want that human interaction. So we talk about that. We talk about that concept of, of being objective versus subjective. Um, but sometimes you actually want that. And we do have people who will call in and say, hey, I need an opinion. Can you look at my outfit and tell me, does it look okay? Now, what looks okay to me might not look okay to the next person taking the call. But the fact that folks are still able to use that, I'm not entirely certain uh, that we're going to be seeing that uh, you know, with AI. Um, we may. There may be ways to have some sort of an algorithm, some sort of formula that that determines, you know, uh, you know, whether something looks pleasing or not. Um, but it's it's very interesting what's going on right now. So, anyways, I just wanted to chime in on that, and uh, well, also just to let folks know that we are here at Mavi with a Be My Eye Specialized Help Program. Terrific, terrific, and and again, I don't rely on one thing to do most anything in my life. Uh, I always like to have more than one way uh, to skin a cat, though my sister shouldn't hear me say that. She's a super cat lover, and she gets annoyed when people use that phrase. Uh, but you get the idea. To some degree, you know, there's a bit of trust, but verify. You have friends, no doubt, that describe things better than other friends do. This is one tool in your toolkit for getting these kinds of things done. All right. Now, let's see where we're going next here. So I'm going to toss in some things that I find pretty amazing uh, under things that we uh, may have missed up to this point. Let me see what you think of this. I was recently asked to take a drive around London in a car without a driver, or rather, no human driver. It was a car operated by Waze, a startup that's developing a new approach to autonomous driving. Um, front seats are yours. All right. Can I introduce uh, Tifa? Tifa's going to be our safety operator today and monitor the system. Supposedly the easiest job in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Great, Bill. Where would you like to go? Uh, let's uh, go get some fish and chips. Other self-driving technologies work only on specific map streets. Waves technology operates more like a human driver would, learning how to drive in one city and then applying that knowledge to drive in new places. London is a very challenging place to drive, with lots of traffic, pedestrians, and cyclists. We put Waves' self-driving technology to the test. The algorithm is now controlling the speed, the steering, the indication, the braking, everything about cars driving. 
We're making decisions based on what we see, so it's not being told how to drive with a set of rules and a map, but it's interpreting its environment, understanding the context, and making the safest decisions to drive through here. And the beauty of that is that it can learn things that are more complex than you can hand engineer. If you have to tell the car how to behave in each and every situation it will exist, you're never going to cover them all. I mean, this this is the real world right here. Uh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, look at the cyclist on the left. Yeah. See how we're slowing down behind it. We'll probably, when it opens up, overtake the cyclist, but we're choosing not to now. Okay, look, we pulls, Yeah, it gives him as much clearance as possible. That's great. All right, is this guy going backwards, forwards? Ooh. I'll give you credit for picking one of the most difficult situations I've ever seen in an autonomous car ever. I mean, this is the most unstructured, wild, and complex environment. Yeah, no, the humans are having a hard time. You can tell they're trying to make judgment calls. I think this is the next big wave of technology, whether that's improving the enjoyment of vulnerable road users, whether that's decreasing the amount of traffic, improving safety, allowing more public transport, more shared mobility, more reliable mobility. I mean, the way we move around cities hasn't changed in 100 years. Well, I hope you enjoyed riding the way through. Oh, that was fantastic. So, again, we've we've been led to believe over recent times that uh, the idea of the self-driving car uh, was a long way away and that it required all kinds of what-ifs involved in decision-making. But here you see a demonstration where, in fact, the sensors on the car are fed through a computer system to make AI decisions. Not because it recognizes this exact situation it finds in, in itself in, but it thumbs through thousands of possible actions it might take based on pattern recognition of what is currently happening and what might happen based on past experience. As a result, this car has sensors and it has access to roadmaps and whether something is um it's best to get from point A to point B by a certain path of travel versus another. But all of the safety decisions, the speed up, the slow down, the turn left, the turn right, to keep an eye on that cyclist in case they fall over, because a car wouldn't fall over, but a bicyclist might fall over, so you need to give them a different distance between you and them that kind of thing. And it's done so rapidly that you couldn't hit the brakes as fast as it can hit the brakes when it sees something going on. So it's technically safer than a human driver. And in fact, I think the number one driving point for these kinds of self-driving vehicles is there's going to be less accidents with them at the wheel, so to speak, than with uh, others at the wheel. That's one area that we as blind and visually impaired people should think about when we talk about AI, is when will it be reliable enough to open doors to things like transportation that we are otherwise struggling with? Last night, we had the debate about um, Uber drivers who don't speak the language of their passenger. 
We had the discussion of Uber drivers denying guide dog users access to their vehicle. Those are the kinds of things that a self-driving vehicle, we wouldn't have those problems. We simply wouldn't have those problems. So I'm excited about the potential of this. But we all know that we have the Lady A in our homes. We might have the Google equivalent in our homes. We might have the Apple equivalent in our homes. I happen to live in a mixed home. I have a bit of each of those three because they've accumulated over the years. And I, I just can't toss away something that's only two years old uh, and rebuild from scratch. So it's an accumulative thing here. But I don't know what I would do if I couldn't simply say, Amazon, what time is it? It's 12.09 p.m. Here in Massachusetts, it's 12.09 p.m. But I ask a lot more complicated things like that, such as Amazon, who was the losing pitcher in last night's Red Sox game? Yesterday, the Boston Red Sox lost to the Minnesota Twins 6-0. to it doesn't always get it right. Told me the miserable score, but it didn't tell me who lost. Uh, but smart speakers are getting smarter all the time. It's not so much that device sitting on your counter is smart. It's the AI in the background that is getting smarter and smarter, having access to more information, being able to help you define what it is you want, and to do it in ways that I just couldn't imagine. Instead of being able to say, what time is, is it? I could just as easily stumble through that and say, ah, just tell me what it is. And it's likely to get it right, because it's learned by my use of it, what is going on. In other words, AI is not only getting smarter as a result of access to the collective information it's gathered, but the specific information it's gathered from you. You can, on your smart device, go in and tell it to forget everything it learned about you. Now, it's not going to, you know, that's not a matter of forgetting, you know, your name and address. That's a matter of forgetting the voice patterns that you've exhibited while using it and going back to square one and you end up teaching it more and more by your pattern of talking i've got four minutes and i've got just one more thing i want to do here and that is i try to make all things to talk about call to action call to action are you going to be a passive consumer on these things or are you going to become involved in where they go i've acted as the advisor for hundreds of developers of different things over the years and one of the most frustrating things is when they come up with an idea they think i should like never having spoken with or interacted with a blind person up to that point i want somebody to come to me and ask me what problems do you have that technology may or may not be able to solve for you? Example would be, I, I don't want a one thing does all to add complication to my life that I have to remember going down three parts, three ways down a chain of commands and subcommands and subcommands. So I want an appliance that sits on a shelf in my closet that I can pull out and do color identification, pattern identification, uh, be able to read a uh, code 
inside the collar that gave the uh, instructions for laundering that, that item, uh, what other items that particular piece of clothing could also be matched with, all of those things. But the, all those things are only of interest to me when I'm standing at my closet, not when I'm in my kitchen. In my kitchen, I want to be able to uh, measure things, temperatures, volume, uh, weight, uh, time, these kinds of things. So I'm really interested in appliances based on where I am at the time I want to use those appliances. So I encourage all of you to give some thought to what kind of things do you think this could make your life better? By doing AI is going to be there in a way that we just couldn't imagine. And as a result, there are going to be solutions to some of the everyday problems that we have. I cannot get a label to stick to a package in my freezer for love nor money. So while I braille labeled and slap them on things all the time, it's not unusual for those labels to come loose. And I've tried lots of things, but no two packages in my freezer are the same. And so some of them were damp when I tried to put them on. I couldn't get them dry. Some of them are plastic. Some of them are cardboard. Some of them, uh, I don't have to tell you, lots of variety. So last question from the audience. What do we got? One last hand. Brian, this is Judy. We're going to have to close this one, but we could go on during the interim. But we do need to get our closing CEU. Uh, Yes. So I'm I'm listening to see what our marvelous uh, facilitator is doing back there. Do we have any hands up I should recognize before we call it quits? Okay, well, we should definitely do our closing CEU code. So um, I'm going to do that. It is 40701. Again, that is 40701. Zero seven zero one, and since it um, and there you go, it is the end of the session now. So I'm going to turn things over to the next host of the hour. Thank you so much for your service. Really appreciate it.